In 2005, Donna and I were on sabbatical leave traveling in Europe, and we spent a week at the community, the Celtic Christian community, on the island of Iona, which is in the Inner Hebrides on the western side of Scotland. And to get there, you take the train to this very small town, and you take a ferry across to the island of Mull, and then you travel on a single-track roadway in a bus, and it's 25 miles, and it takes you a full hour, and you arrive at the end of Mull, where you get on another ferry, and you cross over about a half mile of water to the island of Iona, where there has been a Christian presence since about the 5th century A.D. Some of you may have been there. What I noticed was that we were there for a week, but every day the ferry would disgorge a thousand tourists who came, walked around all of the ancient ruins and the burial sites and all of the tourist attractions that were there, and they would get back on the ferry and they would go across the island of Mull, back to the mainland and to wherever they were going. And all that they left behind would be footprints and some money, and that was about all the impact that they would make. Donna and I stayed a week. We worshipped with that community twice a day, morning and night. We took meals with them. We did a pilgrimage around the island in a rainstorm. This is Scotland, after all. <laughs> and we came to know that community a little bit better than a tourist. Now, if you want to volunteer, you can go there for six weeks and be a part of that community and help with the keeping up of the ministry to the tourists as well as to the facility as to the guests who come. Or there are a few jobs where you can go and you can work there for a year or two. But at some point in the process you move from being a one-day tourist to becoming a part of the community. That's the difference because you begin to feel the rhythm of daily prayer in the morning and in the afternoon. You begin to experience the difference of knowing people, connecting with the holiness of this ancient Christian site, and to know the people who are there and who are maintaining that sense of Christian Celtic spirituality. There is this difference between being a tourist and a pilgrim. That woman in Santa Barbara, she said that it was that she got to know the rhythms of the Christian year. You know, next week begins a celebration of the Christian year starting over. And we celebrate for four weeks Advent, and then the season of Christmas, and then there's ordinary time, and then there's Lent leading up to Easter. She got to know what those holy days meant in her bones. And she would celebrate these rhythms of the history of the church and of Christ's life and ministry in our names.
She began to get a sense of identity of being with God. She learned the language of that congregation and its history and engaged in services to the community in the name of Jesus Christ through that group. She moved from being a tourist to being a pilgrim, walking with them day by day through the struggles of life. I want to say today that we are in a postmodern era. And this has been printed and discussed and talked about now for several years. In the latter half of the 20th century, we lived in modernity. It was a very different time than today, if you can recall. It was a time when we really were on a pilgrimage, where we had roots, where things didn't change so much. And that the thing that made us rational in the face of some of the things that were going on was that we were on a pilgrimage together. But in the succeeding years, culture has changed, hasn't it? Today, the suburbs are growing so fast that Pizza Hut can't find your house because they can't print new maps fast enough. The maps are out of date. We live in a world that is fragmented, where a family of five has two parents going to different activities for each of their children, and one they can't even attend. Or if you're a single parent and you have a child and you're trying to work and keep up with your children's activities, and your life becomes so fragmented that you don't have any handholds that help you to live in the midst of all this going on. The postmodern world is marked by its uh, sense of um, flexibility. You just can't do all of the things that you used to do because now you have more things to do. And to be rational in this society, this postmodern society, you have to be a tourist. You can't put down roots anywhere. You're like a butterfly or a bee that goes from flower to flower and you're rushing hither and yon. And the anxiety of the postmodern world yields itself in a religious sense to fundamentalism, to inquisitions, and to cultural wars. And it's very important for those of us who are pilgrims in this world to know that we're being irrational as far as the world is concerned, but we are rational according to the Word of God because we find a place where we can connect, where in our fragmentation we can find wholeness, in our weariness, we can find rest and meaningful service to others. That we don't have to succumb by the fear of living in the world into fundamentalism or cultural wars or the kinds of inquisitions that we see out in that world that is just driven by the anxiety of society.
It must have been about the year of 1978, someplace in the mid-70s. Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the places where the atomic bomb was developed, and it's the National Engineering Laboratory at Oak Ridge, filled with the highest percentage of PhDs of any place in the world. And one day, two of those PhDs were walking in the country lane on a summer morning like the fall that we've just been having. And they walked by this isolated rural church who didn't have air conditioning and its doors were open. And they could hear the hymns coming out of that as the people sang to God. And one scientist turned to the other and said, isn't that quaint? those poor, ignorant people still living with those ancient myths that don't speak to the modern era. Now update that by 30 years. Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Two scientists on a walk on a fall afternoon. They walk by that same church. The windows are open. They're singing lustily. But instead of saying, oh, those poor people, in today's world, they just might stop and go into that church and take up a hymnal and to sing praise to God because it is in that that they now understand that God exists, even the most scientific of minds, even the most educated of people. Churches today are filled with medical doctors and lawyers and professors of philosophy and geologists because it is in the church that people are finding stability and meaning for their fragmented and very flexible lives. Because of that, it is our job, it is our duty as we live in the postmodern world that we keep the church strong and that we invite people to come and to find here what we have found, to proclaim that God is constant and that God is faithful, that in the midst of all of the anxiety we don't have to, to go into uh, fundamentalism or we don't have to go into cultural wars that our anxiety can be placated by the sense of community as we become pilgrims together. And that happens as we are community, as there is an inner transformation that occurs in your life. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? You have experienced an inner transformation that your life is different and it's better because you are a part of First Baptist Church. You are a pilgrim on the way, finding a way to give of yourself and your resources in service of God through these people with whom you discover a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Well, this is what Matthew 25 is telling us. In a very subtle way, we think of this as being the parable of the sheep and the goats. 
And it's true that there is judgment and some people just are goats and that's all there is to it. But in reality, this is a parable of transformation. So you old goats can be transformed into sheep. Okay, any, any volunteers, any old goats out there? <laughs> I saw a hand. <laughs> Think about the story. Think about the parable. Jesus says that uh, we are to minister to other people. And he says, you know, you ministered to me when I was hungry and when I was naked and when I was in prison and when I was a stranger. And you know what? The believers, the sheep in this story, those who had been transformed and had a relationship with God were surprised. It's an innocent surprise. As you listen to how, as Esther read the story, it's an innocent surprise that says, Fed you? When did we feed you? Visited you in jail? When did we do that? Yes, we've been to the prison. Yes, we've been to the soup kitchen. Yes, we've gathered boxes for Operation Christmas Child. But we were just doing that because that's who we are. And then he brings the punchline and he says, When you did it to them, to the least of the people, those who are hungry and needy, that's when you did it to me. And the people didn't even recognize it. They didn't even think about it because they had been transformed into new people, new creations of God. Because they had been on a pilgrimage with others. And there they found a strengthening relationship of, with God and an understanding of God and who God is. And you put this into the context of all of chapter 25 in Matthew, and you have the parable of the oil, and the goats were those who were not prepared, and the message is, in our transformed lives, we are to be prepared all of the time for the coming of our Master. And last week I talked about the parable of the talents, and those who are the goats, they're not willing to risk but those who have been transformed, those who have become pilgrims in this land, in this place, they were willing to risk because they knew they could trust God. And in this parable of the transformation, those who were the goats, they at their very core of their everyday living weren't living out the Christian message. They had a facade or they had a, a face or they had a lifestyle that they called Christian. But at the core of who they were, they didn't have that fundamental transformation that occurs when God comes into your life. But those who've experienced the transformation, they're always prepared. They're willing to risk. And this relationship with God is at the core of who they are. And all of the anxiety in the world, which is still in their lives, in our lives, is dissipated so that its effect doesn't weigh us down, but it enlivens us and encourages us to do more and to be more 
to take that cup of water to someone who is thirsty, to speak a kind word to someone who's hurting. Some of you who have been coming here for a long time are still tourists. You haven't yet made that internal transformation, a decision to follow the life of Jesus Christ. And you come and you participate, but it's not exactly out of that inner core. And what this is saying to us is, allow yourself to become a pilgrim and not just a tourist, like that lady in Santa Barbara, California. Tourists just spend a few dollars, maybe put some money in the offering plate, and then they leave, and, and maybe they come back the next Sunday. And yes, this is good entertainment, we have a wonderful choir and a grand organist, and we have great dinners and meals. And so you can be a tourist for a long time. But it's when you are transformed through the power of God as we accept our grace in Jesus Christ that we become pilgrims walking together. One person said, well, I give $7.50 every week to the church offering. And the pastor shook her head and she said, hmm, why that amount? $7.50. And they said, oh, well that's what it costs for me to go to the show for a couple of hours, so I figure, you know, that's good enough to put here on the plate. <laughs> that's a tourist. And we're called to be pilgrims because pilgrims give of their whole selves the very essence of their being because they are transformed they are made new new creations in Jesus Christ and if that is not yet you as you give of your stewardship commitments of your intentions to give for this coming year as you place your pledge card in the cornucopia. Place your heart there as well. And give in to the call of God in the love of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, we would all say together, what is there left to say then except, thanks be to God. And that's your line. What is there left to say then except, Thanks be to God. What is there left to say then when someone accepts Jesus Christ and becomes a pilgrim with us on the march? Except, thanks be to God. I can't hear you. What is there left to say then except, thanks be to God. Amen.